Welcome to the Red Carpet Cafe podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Root. And I am your other host, Bree Pro. Bree, what's on your concession today? Good old movie theater popcorn. Yeah? Extra butter. I'm having some Doritos Cool Ranch. You can clear the bag from here. These are probably these are probably vegan, right? Probably Maybe. not, but I will say that I am happy that they're Cool Ranch and not Nacho Cheese. Um, yeah, I prefer the Cool Ranch because it makes less of a mess on um, my face and my child's. He had some earlier, and he had a little bit of that that chip dust on him, and uh, much easier to take off than uh, nacho cheese dust. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt your uh, quiet place there? Mm-hmm. See what I see? What I did? I see what you did what there. Yeah, we're gonna guess what we're talking about today. Not just a quiet place, both, but a quiet, quiet place too. It's uh, basically a story about a librarian uh, who's in Stop. love with. Uh... <laughs> <Stop. Stop. laughs> no, please. <laughs> All right. Well, I- I'm prepared really to talk about the second one because the first one I didn't have time to sit and rewatch again. I have seen it before, so I don't mind piping in if you want to start yeah, us off. I- I regret having not rewatched the first one, mm-hmm. but um, I, don't, I, 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 whatever. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Well, basically, the first film as just kind of a synopsis because really the bulk of this conversation is about a quiet place too. Mm-hmm. The uh, the first one you have the Abbott family who uh, is in their town trying in the very beginning of quiet place one from what i remember they're trying to get supplies from a store and they walk on sand to try and make any noise and at one point one of their kids has a toy it's a spaceship yes that starts making noise and it brings something we don't really see what it is i think at that point uh to his location and they lose a child. Um, I believe it was a little boy. And so mm-hmm. the whole movie is them trying to survive in this post-apocalyptic world with basically not saying anything. So, the, yeah. An uh, important thing to note is that their eldest daughter, Reagan, is um, she's not only deaf, but she's got a cochlear implant. Mm-hmm. So they already have lived their lives communicating with one another through American Sign Language. Right. So that allows them in having to remain quiet to still be able to communicate with one another. Yes. So after the movie concludes, uh, you know, they basically, the husband sacrifices himself to save his wife and and kids. Uh, The second... Sweetest moment of that whole movie highly emotional but also so necessary for the storyline yeah um the second one is following the deadly events at the home the abbott family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival and silence 
Forced to venture into the unknown, they quickly realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. So it literally picks right up Mm -hmm. where where that movie left off. I mean, Mm -hmm. you see them still on the rooftops, the lights, uh, the silos, the sand everywhere. Um, The house had pretty much become flooded after the events of the first film. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they have, you have um, Emily Blunt's character, Evelyn Abbott, who is, is there with, you know, their newborn baby along with the eldest daughter and middle son. And, uh, you know, we get the flashback of things that occur before the creatures. Yeah. How, before the creatures even come to earth. Mm -hmm. And it kind of took me back at first because I'm like, why is he driving a truck? It makes noise. Does he not know? And then you see it's John Krasinski and he goes Mm -hmm. into the store and he's going about his business. And then he uh, goes out to the baseball field with some apples and he sees his wife and you know the the kids there and there to cheer on uh their their kid playing baseball and as they're playing baseball everyone literally stops and looks in the sky and you see this fireball in the distance coming to earth and no one knows exactly what it is but as it gets closer and closer everyone gets the presence of mind we need to get home. We need to get Mm -hmm. to the cars. We need to get to safety. We don't know what this is. This could be an extinction level event. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Which brings in one of the coolest scenes, I think in the entire movie of quiet place Two. Absolutely. And that's when one, you get reminded because John Krasinski's character, Lee is running with his daughter, Reagan, Mm -hmm. trying to keep her safe. While Evelyn, played by Emily Blunt, is with um, Marcus and um, their their youngest at the time, and honestly, I don't right. even remember his name. Right. Um, and she's getting them into a car, and Lee is like he's hiding in buildings. He's making sure everyone's staying quiet. Um, and they're trying to bring the family back together. And Emily Blunt, she's in a car as everything is is happening. So, you know, like they see the falling from the sky and then these creatures are just everywhere. And at one point she gets in the car and they're ready to go. And there's a bus flying towards her and she puts it in reverse and just starts driving to keep her family safe. Um, And some behind the scenes of that was that bus was going 40 miles an hour. And she said, just do it, just film it because I want to do this right. So all of her emotion is raw emotion. She is literally driving as they're filming that car backwards with a bus coming towards her at 40 miles an hour. I I actually, I, I did not know that. That's interesting because I remember seeing that bus, that scene where Emily's Mm -hmm. driving the car and two of the kids are in the back. 
Mm-hmm. And clearly there's a problem with the bus because you see the monster on front of the bus eating the driver. Well, you can't see him eating the driver, but you can tell he's he killing the driver. <laughs> but the bus is coming at them head on so quickly, mm-hmm. but you get the the perspective from over her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And she and realizes she realizes it hits the brakes and throws that sucker into reverse mm-hmm. and that thing's approaching her. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, how did they film that? That's uh, That's incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. I like... When I learned that, I was like, I love her and John even more. Like, they yeah. are, I, I just think that part scene of the was reason, fantastic. Oh my gosh, yes. And part of the reason why I love this, um, these two movies so much is the story behind it. And that is obviously John Krasinski, he wrote it mm-hmm. and directed it. Mm-hmm. And the story behind it was he shared. It with his wife who doesn't do horror she doesn't like it it's not her thing he shared this script with her to see what she thought and she was just immediately like oh my god I have to do this like this is like this is for us together and just natural chemistry acting ability whatever you want to call it it is so incredible seeing them on the screen together The first one blew me away. Mm -hmm. So I have been so excited about this second one. And he had no intention of coming out with a second one. So when they did, I was like, I'm here for it. I'm so excited to see it. And it's fantastic. You know, what's interesting, too, is that they managed to not only do the second film, but they kept everything intact. So for example, the daughter who's deaf, you know, they still had the amplifier to be mm-hmm. able to create the noise in order to keep the creature at bay and give them a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's essentially how the movie started. It was right. her gathering all of that so that they could prepare to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But the also, daughter, the daughter, I mean, if you look at her role throughout the whole film, She's quite brilliant when it comes yes. to figuring things she out. She is her father's daughter. Correct. And, you know, she she figures out pretty quick, you know, certain things. Like, she can't even hear, but when there's the loop playing of Beyond the Sea, mm-hmm. she's like, oh my gosh, it's not just meant to be a song. It's meant to right. be, we need to cross the sea in order mm-hmm. to get to safety. Yep, they and, can't be in the water. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, yeah. Just I, how brilliant she was in this role. I agree. There's um, There was something that you said that really reminded me of something. And I can't... Oh, I know. the Just the thought behind all of this and what I'm most impressed by when it comes to the writing is the decisions that are made and the things that they do to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's what sucked me in so much into the first one, as well as the second one, you know, in the first one, Emily Blunt's character um, becomes pregnant and they set up this whole life with these lights and these ways to communicate with one another, with what's going on, um, you know, without, 
being vocal without making sound. Right. And I remember there was a scene in the first one where um, Noah Jupe, who plays Marcus Abbott, that middle son who is, you know, you've got to be the man of the family. Come on, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. teach you how to take care of everyone. Um, he's afraid to go outside. He doesn't want to do anything. He's, you know, and rightfully so because he's a child. But now he's in this world, in this situation where, you know, you got to step up a little bit. And so in the first one, Lee, John Krasinski's character, takes him to the woods and they go to this waterfall and they sit under the waterfall because the waterfall is so loud. They Mm. can scream, they can talk, they can do all of these things. And it allows Marcus to be a kid again, but also learn what to do and how to survive so then in the first one when she has when evelyn has the again emily blunt has her child they have this whole system set up that creates this noise they set off the fireworks like they turn the lights on so they know it's time to set off the fireworks or you know whatever to make the noise so that while she's birthing a child Mm -hmm. naturally she can scream as loud as she wants and the baby who's entering the world who is obviously going to be screaming themselves is masked by everything else that's going on so that right. they remain safe. Yeah. And that carries over into the second one with and I was so I was so confused in the beginning. I'm like what the heck are they trying to do? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they've essentially created this crate with right. a lid Mm-hmm. And they put an oxygen mask on the baby because right. a baby's a baby. Like you, there are things that you just can't control. Any new parent like yourself right. <laughs> is going to, well, round two, but you know, right. is going to know like when a baby's ready to cry, a baby's going to cry. There's very, there's few and far between of what you can do to stop that. True. And, um, and so they've created this box. It's to be this more or less soundproof space that they like close this child in right they give it a gas not a gas mask that'd be a bad thing right right they give it an oxygen oxygen mask mask so that Mm -hmm. it can still breathe and survive but everyone else is going to survive too and it's just just the thought and that survival mentality just being able to write something like this i find incredible so my observation though Yes, I saw the oxygen mask that they used for the baby anytime they had to put the baby in the box to make sure Mm -hmm. that the baby didn't cry when they were trying to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But at no point did I ever see anybody actually feed the baby. (laughs) And that's just a parent and me going, why why are you putting an oxygen mask on the crying baby? Maybe the baby's hungry. (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but at some point they figure out that they can't hang out at the house any longer. They have to move on. They have to go beyond their borders. So the oldest daughter has a map where she sees where they need to go to. They get to the end of where the sand is and they have to cross it. Well, they cross it and then they go into a area that's grassy and um, at first kind of get hung up by the fence. And then the next thing you know, you got the uh, son who mm, is walking yes. along and I got to tell you, as soon as he hits that trap, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, 
where are they going with this? Mm-hmm. But it brings out the monsters right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, they're doing everything they can to keep it at bay while someone is observing them from the, the mm-hmm. uh, scope of a rifle. And they manage to take out the monster, uh, but then they've got someone who comes up to help them get away, uh, even though they're still being chased by a couple others. Mm-hmm. And uh, the character Emmett, played by Cillian Murphy, who's been in a lot of other things in the mm-hmm. DC world, he played Sandman in the uh, Christopher Nolan uh, epic um, version of Batman. But um, so he kind of takes them in begrudgingly, but he doesn't really want to keep them there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Evelyn kept saying, you, you saw the lights, you knew we were there and you chose not to come he goes correct because you'll find quickly that people have changed mm-hmm. people are not who you think they are mm-hmm. um i want to backtrack just a hair to when the boy marcus abbott when he gets caught in that bear trap Ugh. uh noah jupe is the young actor who plays marcus and mm-hmm. um i've I I've had the pleasure of seeing Noah in more than just a quiet place. And he is incredible. He is like, when you, when you see him in interviews, he's kind of like this quiet, shy, um, you know, really just cute little kid. And then when he's on the screen and what he's given, he delivers. You know, we talked about when we did um, Those Who Wish Me Dead, the young boy who mm-hmm. is in that film and how like at such a young age is learning to be like a master in his craft. Noah Jupe, 100%. I like he is at the top of my list of um, you know, younger than 18 actors of like, I can't wait to see where his career takes him. Like right. his emotion, his, I mean, the screams when he's in the bear trap is just like, you feel it. Like you're there, you see what's happening, you know? And, and Emily Blunt, her character, Evelyn is like, baby, please, please be quiet. Please be quiet. Baby, please, please, please. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, like, like you're there, like you're watching it happen. But yeah, I mean, I hope he hears this someday. Like Noah is amazing. Like yeah. I, if I see him in the, like anytime in the future, when I see his name in the, you know, the, the starring lineup, I promise you, I will watch that movie. He okay. is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, after some bantering with, between Evelyn and Emmett, um, he does give them sanctuary. Mm-hmm. and you, you quickly learn that he's got an elaborate system set up in order to try and protect uh, himself in case there's any kind of, um, you know, monsters that come running into his territory. So he's very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also learn that the daughter uh, knows that they're going to need some more supplies. And, you know, there's the occasional look that Emily Blunt's character will give the oxygen tank that the baby has. And you're like, 
yeah, clearly you're starting to run out of oxygen. So what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, the sister goes out to venture um, to look for some supplies, even though um, mom didn't want her to. And she convinces Emmett to go bring her back. Um, but not before kind of things get a little chaotic at that point. You know, she finds some supplies that look good. But at the same time, too, she also starts drawing attention to herself and certain things like, you know, she sees a dead body and, you know, jumps and makes a noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Emmett does catch up with her and uh, tries to get her, you know, to go along. And I think that's a kind of coming to that point where she, I think she's trying to convey to him also too about the song about you know we need to we need to move on we need to go across the sea in order to to seek safety or help or something Mm -hmm. but um there comes that point where they run across a group of people who at first Emmett thinks needs help that's near the boats in the dock Mm -hmm. and clearly they're uh, yeah they use a little girl as bait yeah, and clearly they're a family of bad people that mm-hmm. intend on doing bad things. And um, But I love the communication between Emmett and the daughter because at some point when they've got him strung up to noisemakers as kind of bait for monsters in case they have an issue – he manages to use the sign language that he knows with her about like mm-hmm. diving was, in the water. Yes. That was one of my next favorite scenes of this movie. Yeah. And you know, so he goes on the attack with the noisemakers and such. And of course it drives. Yeah. He, he signals to the daughter dive in the water. She dives and the monsters are coming out and just shredding everyone mm-hmm. apart. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he kind of takes like the bells and the net that's around him and grabs the leader of that pack, so to speak, and essentially throws him in the water with him and gets out of all of that. Mm-hmm. So then the noise is now on the other gentleman and they can attempt to get to safety. Except he still had the, the rope attached around him that he was struggling with underwater. Ankle, maybe? I can't remember if it was his ankle. Uh, I think it was neck. around his neck. It was around his neck, yeah. And um, but at some point you can tell that the leader guy gets shredded because the water just turns blood red. And uh, you know, he kind of looks up and you can see that there's the ship with the monster on it, and um he gets pulled into the boat quickly by the the uh, daughter who had jumped in, and they sail off further down to uh, try and figure out, you know, if there's someplace Mm -hmm. safe and miraculously they find it. Mm -hmm. They come across, they see this town, everyone's outside. They're making noise, talking there. Yeah. There's a fire and such. And so they go over and they start conversing and they start making friends. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. You can pick it up from there. Yeah. So at some point as they're you know they're communicating to everyone the whole point of getting to the <coughs> island which we glossed over just a little bit was 
the reason why Reagan wants to get to the island <clears throat> is because she believes <clears throat> that if on the Ricola, <laughs> she believes that if on the island they can broadcast this song for anyone to hear, that she can broadcast the feedback from her cochlear implant and scare all the creatures away potentially indefinitely. So that is her ultimate goal, not only to find a place that's safe for her and her family, but to just put an end to it. And that's, like I said before, like, you know, she's her father's daughter because she's willing to sacrifice herself just like her father did in the first movie, which is like the most emotional, touching thing I think I've seen in my life. Um, but anyway, so, they, you know, there's, there's some foreshadowing as they're trying to get away from the docks, you know, you see specific boats and you see the destruction that the creatures have done to the boats. And ultimately, again, they get to the Island. We've already discussed that. And um, part of being there, they go on these like walks, they get to walk and see and enjoy, and they don't have to worry about being quiet. And um, uh, Killian's character, um, Emmett, is going mm-hmm. on his walk and he hears this like the thunk the thunk the thunk and he looks over the edge and he sees the same ship from the docks that he last saw a creature on and mm-hmm. it is destroyed it's scratched it's just you know mutilated and he realizes oh my god these creatures drifted to to what is their safety right so he's running back to try to alert everyone and let them know what's going on. And they haven't even had time to explain to the leader of this group what their plan is and how they can save everyone. So it's like amongst the chaos, as all these creatures are, as you would have guessed, show up to this island and start tearing through everyone and everything. Um, you know, they still had safety measures in place but not to the degree of the people who are on the mainland who mm-hmm. needed those safety measures every single second of the day where this was like, Oh, just in case kind of like, think like the village and hiding out underneath your, you know, your, your decks. I can't believe I just referenced the village. I am not <laughs> an M night Shyamalan fan at all, but the concept. I see dead people. <sighs> Gosh, I love Bruce Willis, but man, oh, M. Night Shyamalan, oh, gets me every time. Anyway, not this podcast. Um, So amongst this chaos, while all of this is happening and they're trying to get everyone to safety that they can, they're trying to explain to the, the leader of what their plan is and where they need to go. So they're getting in the car and they're honking their horn to attack, uh, to attract the attention of these creatures Mm -hmm. just to get them away from where all these people are. Um, you know, everyone who's trying to stay safe, everyone, they need to be safe. They're trying to get the creatures away to essentially follow them because at least now they're in a car and they can go faster than anyone who is on their own feet. So the creatures are, you know, following them. And they get to the station and the creatures are nowhere to be found. Right. That's what's going to happen. So 
you know, but what was interesting is, is that those creatures are fast. I mean, even while they're driving fast, they're jumping on the roof of the car, tearing it up. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> ultimately they get to that radio station and, you know, the, the leader guy is like, oh, I got to go back to my family and get my kids. And then next thing you know, he's being pulled underneath the doorway and that's the end of him. Yeah. And fortunately they get the radio station open and make their way in after doing a couple of Mission Impossible moves. Yes, another cool scene. Yep. And uh, she, the daughter, um, manages to get the uh, device hooked up so that it'll give that feedback and turn on Mm -hmm. that speaker that's overhead and see that it clearly affects those creatures and gives her an opportunity to deal a death blow to it, which Mm -hmm. was impressive. But, you know, you go back to where the, um, the mom has gone back with some tanks of oxygen for the baby. Mm-hmm. And she notices that there's a problem because uh, the creatures have made their way towards where they were staying. And so she's in a hurry to get back there to make sure that the baby and the son are okay. And they had been hiding out in uh, one of those silos and oxygen was running low. So, you know, that became a pretty intense moment where you're like, oh, what's going to happen here? Are we going to lose mm-hmm. the son? We're going to lose the baby. We're going to lose both. Lose them both. Yeah, exactly. Well, cause they, they lock themselves in because there was normally a towel. Right. Hanging over the lock. But it wasn't there, so it locked Mm-mm. them in, locked them mm-hmm. in. So there was no oxygen getting to either of them. Other than what was in that tank. Mm-hmm. And they had to share at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the mom, of course, is trying to make sure that uh, she draws the creature away from that silo. But uh, she got hit pretty hard when she got into that silo to where they were at to get oxygen to both of them. And I kept thinking, if there's a third one, I don't know that she's going to make it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't, <laughs> I don't know the way it's going. Um, but the... Uh, there won't be a third one. There almost wasn't a second one. Oh, uh, well. Okay, well, <laughs> the son who had the headset on, uh, here's the music change to the feedback. And he takes the feedback, uh, the headset off, and then grabs the amplifier... And holds it like he's a a power ranger right right. and then you know gives them that opening opportunity to uh take out that monster um but yeah interesting interesting way that they they ended that film but honestly there could be a third because it seems it, like it was all just a dream. <laughs> no, I wasn't going there. Actually, that's a hell of a dream. That's more of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, usually, if you look at films like that, that genre. Let's take the Saw franchise for example. The Saw franchise has had what fifty movies? I, I forget. I lost count. Let's do that. Something like that. But the whole the whole reason why they make keep making them is because they're profitable, 
as long as the films are profitable and they're making enough money to justify um, the next one, they'll commission it, even if it's not with John Krasinski. The studio will commission it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I look at Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, but you oh, always man. know what you're gonna get with that. So, like, I, I like this doesn't compare because this similar to the time that we talked about the Suicide Squad versus Suicide Squad, right? Similar to the recording of that when we did that. This almost is like because I'm not a sequel person, and sorry, you're gonna hear that a gazillion times anytime we talk about a two. But similar to how I felt about that, this has a character arc that makes sense, it flows, it works. And what I would be so disappointed in if they came out with a third one because it's gonna make money is it's gonna be straight shit, it's not gonna have this state. Okay. It, and that's the problem. That's that's the problem with money, man. That's why I hate sequels. I hate them so much because of that. Like it's Space Jam. We did Space Jam how long ago? Right. And it's like, oh no, this is a standalone. It's not really a second, even though we're gonna reference the first one three hundred times. And yeah, we already talked about it, but you know, it's it. it <sighs> Uh, okay will never learn okay but then how do you that's why they're rich that's why they're rich how do you explain star wars Uh, 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 uh. no 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 do not throw that on me do not do that because that is basically all sequels no that doesn't count that does not count because it is necessary it is a part of life it is necessary that's nope, nope, nope. I'm not diving down this hole. Okay, so we know that one out of one Fernandos would agree with you at that point. But my whole point is, is that sometimes these movies and their sequels are justified. Here's another case in point. Marvel. That's why we got that's why we got that's why we got Quiet Place 2. Marvel. Everything is considered pretty much a sequel after Iron Man. Am I wrong? Lord of the Rings. Two Towers. Return of the King. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) I'm just saying that you sound like a sequelist. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like it should be a thing. I sound like an anti-sequelist since right, now it's enough. a word. Google that shit. <laughs> yes, that's a Dane Cook reference for those of you who are not 28 plus. <laughs> All right. So then do you think, do you Is it think. Is time to bring this home? <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you think that this, this movie was necessary? necessary no because the first one had an ending um even though you know that there's still life after it had an ending and it could have ended there necessary no grateful for it hell yes i am see and i think it was necessary because it gave you enough backstory on the pre-invasion 
to fill in the blanks that you maybe had originally uh, or the, answer the questions you originally had. But I don't Plus, feel you like to I see... had questions at the end of the first one. I don't feel like there were questions. I feel like it could have been just the first one. Okay, but you don't think like a good question that would have been asked is how did the monsters get here? No, because think about any surprise alien movie. There's okay. never any understanding or background, which is why it pisses you off because you're watching a horror movie waiting to see like what the scary thing is and why it's going to make you scared to sleep at night. And then they're like, ah, oh, like we wrote this really good storyline and now we can't think of anything else. So we're just going to make it aliens and then end it. That's why surprise alien movies are the worst. This one, you always knew there was a creature. You didn't quite know what it was. And I will say, too, that there's the, what are the, what's the series? There's, it it gets me every time, which is why I'm calling it a series. The, like, Cloverfield, right? Right. Actually, I was just about to mention them. Yeah. The creatures in that, because that was, that's one of the first, actually, that's a lie. That's not the first, like, surprise alien movie that got me where I was like, damn it um the first one probably would have been uh, so important anyway but (laughs) so these creatures when I first saw a quiet place I thought I almost wondered if there was a meant to be a connection between the world of Cloverfield okay and a quiet place because they're very similar but I feel like even if it is similar or perhaps the same creatures it's still standalone on its own and it was done so well it was written so well the the acting was spot on just everything about it I didn't need the backstory I didn't need to know who they were prior to I didn't need to know how the creatures got there and I didn't need to know where they are in the future like I could imagine that myself and live in that world so when a quiet place 2 came out yes i am grateful for it because it did give the backstory and it was a good backstory it wasn't like oh yeah whatever and then it gave where they are now which was an equally phenomenal edge of your seat story right i see what you're saying in that it is set up in a way where there could be a third one which I think is the right way to end it in case, as you mentioned, Hollywood goes bananas and decides to do a third one. Whether or not John Krasinski is a part of that, we won't know until it happens. I think it wouldn't be successful without him. Agreed, because, agreed, just agreed. But I don't think a third one is necessary. And I mean, I... I can't remember everything that he said in an interview that I recently saw, but it was in regards to doing a second one. He had no intention of doing a second one. Right. But they kept, you know, approaching him about it. And he put pen to paper and came up with this idea. And once again, his wife was like, yes, like this is incredible. Okay. And they made the second one. But at the end of A Quiet Place, there was no, there was no intention of a second one. Right. So, so I, mean, I would be happy without a third because I feel like I feel like I live in that life now. I, I know what it is and I don't need someone to tell me the story because I, I can write it myself. I already you know, know when I first saw a quiet place, the creature actually reminded me something out of resident evil. 
Yeah, I could see that too. And so when I was anticipating some kind of a backstory that was going to probably be closer to that, not necessarily like a ship hurtling from Mm -hmm. space. But now I kind of want to know, where did that ship come from? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Like maybe they need to have Marvel movies. Maybe they need to have like a quiet place the series and then they just do like, you know, some knockoff guy that looks Uh -uh. like John Krasinski. No, no, no no one looks like John Krasinski (laughs) right now. (laughs) Um no, because see, that's what they did with the movie Frequency, and that's what they did with Twelve Monkeys. And they did with Limitless. Sure. So like Limitless, I actually like the Limitless I take, series. I take Limitless back because Limitless picks up same concept, but it picks up after mm-hmm, Ed, the movie as, as Edward Mora Mora after Mora becomes mayor. So I, right. I cross that one off. Twelve monkeys in frequency. Frequency I saw as a kid. I thought it was phenomenal. I have the VHS to this day. It's great. A year ago, two years ago, they came out with a television series, which I think only lasted one season. Why? Because it is exactly the same thing as the movie. They just made it into a series with a daughter instead of a son. No. Twelve Monkeys. Phenomenal movie. We should do a podcast on it at some point. Retro Rewind. Retro Rewind. They went and they made a series about it. And I was so excited because I was like, you know what? This movie is kick ass. Mm -hmm. And the series is literally, again, the movie, just different people, same concept, same everything. Like, what? Retelling. This is for someone who doesn't have time to sit down and watch an hour and 45 minute movie. So we're going to break it out into 30 to 45 minute segments over the course of 12 episodes. No, I don't think so. I'm not okay. signing that. But if Paramount wants to make it a franchise, a franchise lately has constituted a trilogy. No. It it just has. I mean, it has. Look at everything that comes out now. It feels like it's a trilogy. It's one of two of a third or whatever. But I get it. I get it. Uh, I view A Quiet Place 1 and 2 as one long movie yes the way they did it continuation yes it's one long movie and Mm -hmm. um you can literally watch one and two and not miss a beat yes Mm -hmm. without having the credits in the middle yep so i would say overall i'm going to give a quiet place to um a solid eight and a half I I think it was a a solid eight and a half. There were moments where I kept thinking to myself, I don't know that I want my wife watching this film because of certain (laughs) scenes involving the children. (laughs) Not only that, she's going to have plans for what she expects you to. She's going to have plans for what she expects out of you as the head of household, but holy shit okay you all right no i'm not because i wanted to go on to imdb just and they're showing a quiet place three son of a bitch they are (laughs) 2023 (laughs) i'm not okay with this a quiet place three a search for cash there is literally there's there is (laughs) the 
only information whatsoever that's on here is an expected (laughs) release date. They're in pre-production right now. An expected release date of March 31st, 2023. Director Jeff Nicholas, who has also directed... Is Is Krasinski not involved? He is, but now he's going to have additional writers. There's going to be Scott Beck, mm-hmm. who's focusing on the characters. Brian Woods, who's focusing on the characters. Jeff Nicholas, who's also the director. And John Krasinski, as a based on an idea by. He better be making a lot of money out of this. That's all I have to say because interesting. I, I'm going to give you my rating right now. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. I okay. am so impressed by the first and the second one. And I mean, everything I've already said, you know, the, the idea, the character arc, like we said, you don't even miss a beat. You could watch the two in sequential order, uh, uh, sans credits and, and it's everything. And, the emotion the feeling the casting it Mm -hmm. is just phenomenal so he better be making a lot of money by having come up with such a brainchild and other people being like yeah i want to cash in on that too they he better be making boo oh i'm sure if if nothing else i'm pretty sure the guy is very very business intelligent i mean he took he took that little uh you know, uh, video uh, happy news thing that he did during the pandemic and he sold the rights to it, made quite a bit of money off of it. Uh, I think he sold it. Yeah. I'd have to look it up. I forget the name of it. Um, but it was basically during the, the early dark times of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. he would focus on all the happy news that was actually going on in the world. Yeah. um, I love John Krasinski so much. He's just so wholesome. Uh, again, a solid film, a very solid film. Oh I yeah. Mean, uh, as we wrap it up, take comfort in just knowing that you know if they're gonna do a third one, he probably got paid a lot of money for it, and I mean it's his brainchild, so it completely mm-hmm. makes sense. I can already kind of predict how it's gonna go. It's gonna probably pick right up where it left off there, assuming that Emily Blunt's still involved by the end of the film. And it's gonna have- suck. By the end of the film, you're going to have everybody dying off. But as they die off, John Krasinski will wake up because it was all just a dream. (laughs) 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 All right. On that note, thank you for listening to the Red Carpet Cafe podcast. As usual, I am one of your uh, dreamy hosts, Eric Root. And I am your living in the now, (laughs) realistic host, (laughs) Free Proud. And uh, the Red Carpet Cafe podcast is a member of the Be Kind Rewind podcast network. You can find us on the web at bkrpn.com.